Welcome to Rule 8 Politics with Jeremy Sammons and Zach Sacker. This is the podcast where we always tell the truth or we at least don't lie. So first of all, Jeremy, how are you doing today? How is your week and what's on your radar? I'm doing good, man. It's another exciting week um, as it is, has always been, uh, especially in 2020. Um, but hey, let's kind of get into... I guess the meat of uh, what went down yesterday and the million MAGA march. Were there a million MAGA people there? Uh, well, according to, to uh, ask, Kaylee, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. According to the White House press secretary, yeah, there was more than a million. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I've seen really wide estimates uh, i've seen ten thousand. i've seen a hundred thousand what did you think it was a lot all right but definitely yeah. not a million and, and and my one takeaway from this point alone is that this white house seems to have a a a a a need to always inflate the numbers with everything. You know, this goes back to basically day one with the inauguration. Yeah. You know, this was the most watched inauguration in all of history, period, with Sean Spicer. Remember that? Oh, and, and, and now it's like the same thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, there were over a million people at the rally, and it, it doesn't seem like that. I think it probably like, 100,000 at most, which means they fell short like 900,000 people. Uh, but still, that's 100,000 people is, is, you know, that's a lot of people. That's a yeah. lot of hardcore Trump supporters who uh, are, are trying to show their support for the president. Yeah, uh, for, for one of the permits that was pulled for the event, I, I can't remember if it was a Stop the Steal March for Trump or the Million Mega March. But uh, the permit permit application was only for ten thousand people, so hmm. they they they, uh, they were not expecting a million people to show up at all. Hmm. Um, oh, uh, yeah, I, I, it <laughs> makes makes you wonder if maybe they just named it that just so it sounds good. It's also you know kind of insulting. Like a million march, kind of. Yeah, it's also insulting to the original Million Man March. Yep, so. that's true, and uh, you know, I, I I think they fight faced off with Antifa and BLM counter protesters at the BLM Plaza, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, a little bit insulting. Yeah. I could definitely see that. I also um, had I an appearance was... uh, from. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I say uh, we had an appearance I don't even by know Trump. What I was going to say, oh. <laughs> oh, of course, but we had, of course, yeah, he, appearance, yeah, he, he, yeah, that was interesting. I, he I think loves what, that stuff. He he just, oh man, we keep talking over each other. I think just so everyone who's who's listening or, or watching to this, we have a little bit of a delay, so sometimes that like screws us up. We just start talking over each over each other, but. Um, uh, Jeremy, you take it. I'll be quiet for a second. All right. Yeah. So uh, there was an appearance by Donald Trump at the event earlier in the day. Uh, I think there's there's two two takeaways from this. The first being that and the reason the reason he was on the road 
was he was on his, on his way to a golf course in Virginia. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the second takeaway, though, to me is that like nothing crazy happened. You know, that's um, um, nothing bad happened to the motorcade. Uh, people behave mm -hmm. themselves. So I think that really does at least show to a certain, uh, certain extent that yeah, these, uh, these folks in, in general aren't as violent and extreme as some would leave you to be. Right. Because if you looked at the. Uh, yeah, I mean. Go ahead. People on the right in general tend to favor order over disorder. You know, uh, law and order. You know, Trump is the law and order president, supposedly. Um, I mean, you can also make a very good argument that he is a lawless president. And I tend to agree with that a little bit more. But when it comes to, I guess, the, the uh, disposition of the conservative versus, um, I guess, a liberal, you would say, or... Uh, you know, whatever we should call people on the left nowadays. I don't know if liberal really fits the left anymore. Um, but usually people on the right, when they protest, if they protest, it's usually not with the intent to shut stuff down or to vandalize or to, you know, be violent. Um, usually not. I mean, it does happen. Um, but in general, uh, I think people on the right favor orderly conduct versus disorderly in general. Um, and yes, I keep saying in general, I'm definitely generalizing here. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, go on. Um, but if, if you looked at the way that the media portrayed this event and the people that were in attendance, um, they were often described as far right, neo-fascist, white supremacists. So basically mm -hmm. it, any news article that you brought up, it talked about the Oath Keepers being there, the Proud Boys, mm -hmm. the Three Percenters, Alex Jones, which, I mean, these mm -hmm. people definitely were in the crowd, but you know who yeah. else was there? Normal fucking people, right? Like, yeah. people, right. people that, yeah, people that aren't radicals, aren't extreme. Um, if, if uh, like, later on in the night where shit started to heat up, there was probably, at most, a hundred self-identified Proud Boys in the streets that night. Mm -hmm. So at, mm -hmm. at a, you know, if, you know, if, if, this, if this crowd was between 10 and a hundred thousand and you have around a hundred people in the streets afterwards, that's pretty incredible. Right. Yeah. At least I, yeah. I think most so. people went home. Yeah. Most people were there during the day to show their support. And then they went home at night and the ones that were hoping to get into some kind of fight, the proud boys, I mean, they stayed behind and predictably, they were met with Antifa at night, and you know those two groups—they just—they just like the brawl. That's what—it's—it's it's what they're looking for. They're looking for fights, yeah. for the most part. Um, but it was overly, for the most part, a peaceful protest yesterday. Um, thankfully, I'm getting a little bit tired of the violence in this country. Um, I, I think it is worth noting that there were some arrests. Uh, I believe. Um, I think I, I, I read somewhere tw uh, at least 21 arrests. I tried to get some information about who was arrested and why. And that was very hard to come, come across. Um, 
I do know that somebody was arrested for throwing a commercial grade firework at somebody else. Um, I don't know which side threw the firework. Uh, there were two police officers who were injured. Uh, and I think somebody, somebody was at least one person was arrested for uh, assaulting the police. Um, I don't know exactly who or what side they were from. Uh, let's see. Somebody else was stabbed. There was a stabbing. I don't know who, what side that person was on. I don't know who did the stabbing. I mean, I really wish I had this information because it would really uh, paint a better picture of who was really instigating the violence once, you know, once the sun went down. Uh, but that information just unfortunately was not available to me. I don't know if you were able to find answers to any of those questions. No, I wasn't. Um, only thing I can add to that is uh, by 4.30 yesterday, there were four firearm violations, and then but through, uh, throughout the day, mm -hmm. and some of these may have been uh, related or multiple charges for one arrest, but uh, seven firearms were confiscated. It's worth noting that you cannot open carry anywhere in D.C. Firearms can only be carried with a district authorized concealed carry permit, and even then they are banned from public demonstrations. So if you were showing, if you if you were planning on doing a a uh, Kenosha out there in D.C. yesterday, they, they shut yeah. that down. Yeah. Um, one other point, um, not so much of a point, but I, I think it's interesting. Early on in the uh, uh, the during the Trump administration. There was that Unite the Right rally, which got very, which became very violent in uh, Charlottesville. This was kind of like a Unite the Right rally. And you just named a bunch of right wing organizations that were there. The, uh, the Three Percenters, the Proud Boys was the other one, the Oath Keepers. I'm um, not too familiar with them, but I did hear that they were there as well. Um, Oath, yeah, Oath Keepers. Oath Keepers. What, what are they about? Do you know anything about them? Uh, they are self-described as nonpartisan association of current and former military uh, police and first responders who pledge to fulfill the oath that all military and police take in order to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Hmm. Hmm. So uh, do you think that they see Joe Biden as an enemy of the Constitution? If he rigged the election, then yeah, <laughs> God, yeah. <laughs> that or I, I, I mean, some people really feel that the lockdown measures for the coronavirus are you know in violation of the Constitution. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, um, there's a case to be made there for that. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, yeah, the uh, the lockdown measures do go too far and they're ruled unconstitutional, yeah. just like we saw up in Michigan mm -hmm. with the, you know, the state supreme court. Do you think that there's going to be more? Of these rallies and then in the upcoming weeks is this going to be something that they keep on doing i don't think you could have an, another rally of that size i think this was probably the last hoorah unless yeah un unless i mean something major would have to happen to mobilize that yeah. many people again on such such short notice between now and january i mean mm -hmm. i don't think it's impossible i just think it's kind of unlikely um but mm -hmm. I, 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 it also comes down to if 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 some kind of credible evidence comes out in election fraud, you know, of large scale, 
maybe that will energize the base again. If, uh, but uh, the, the longer this process plays out, yeah. the more, the, the more uh, court cases they put forward and it gets struck down. And they, I think ultimately people are just going to realize that there's no hope in sight, no light at the end of the tunnel. And we just have to face yeah. the reality that it's over. Yeah. Um, this is conspiracy theory going around that a lot of these people who are chanting stop the steal, these people at this uh, million MAGA rally believe um, uh, there's this theory going around that's saying that uh, the company that created the voting booths uh, Dominion something. Uh, this isn't in my notes here. I'm just kind of riffing on this, but supposedly this this uh, company that created the software for uh, tallying the votes was switching votes from Trump to Biden. Now the company has come out and said this is completely false. It's it's bullshit. But a lot of people are seeming to be grabbing onto this theory and. Uh, just kind of running with it and, and, and spreading it. And a lot of people are starting to really just not trust our system. Um, how dangerous, in your opinion, do you think it is uh, for a large amount of people to not trust our uh, electoral process? Um. I guess it only takes 3%. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, but seriously, I, I think just re regarding that subject in particular, that's something you hear every election. I mean, going back to, uh, uh, I mean, people in a voting booth, you know, I, I remember old videos of people you know, on a touchscreen, like wanting to vote for Obama, it'd be like switch to Romney or vice versa. Or, uh, I mean, mm -hmm. ev every election, this is, um, a conspiracy or a scandal that arises and it's mm -hmm. I, I i have enough faith in our institutions or at least people on the inside that could blow the whistle on something like this if it truly was like this level of, of corruption yeah. which i mean that there's definitely corruption at every level of government make no mistake about that but i i think like the, the the biggest thing about the voter fraud thing is if they were going to rig the vote, like we wouldn't have lost seats in the House. The Democrats would have won the Senate. Like, bottom line, right? And it's like they're mm -hmm. not going to take the presidency and then have a, a, lame, a lame duck four years when you can you know, rig it in your favor. So I just, mm -hmm. I don't see this <laughs> being credible. And if it is, man, I would really like to see like, what were they thinking? Like, what was their plan? Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think there's any real conspiracy out there either. You know, I just think people really voted for uh, uh, mixed government for they, they want a return to normalcy. They, you know, they don't necessarily agree with all the the uh policy ideas that are coming out of the left defund the police and you know the green new deal and um expanding the uh the number of states making puerto rico a, a, a state 
and and Washington D.C. Uh, and abolishing the electoral college. I don't think people want that stuff for the most part. I mean, a lot do, but not a majority. But they also want Trump out of office. You know, they want to lower the volume a little bit. And so you had a lot of mixed ballots. You know, Democrat at the top, but then Republicans down ballot. And I, that's what I just think happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know it's hard hard to fathom, but. That's that's really what I think happened, and um, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. Yeah, um, me neither. Yeah, um, yeah, I think it's just uh, it's going to be interesting to see how these. Uh, all right, so I I think it's right, we're to the to the point now. Of these like people that show up to the march uh, yesterday, mm-hmm. these these Trump supporters, they're like I think we've be we've kind of gone beyond or they've gone a little beyond the pale i think it's now appropriate to label these people trump loyalists which is really what trump wants too by the way and, mm-hmm. and so loyalty yep yeah. above all else right and, and what are they loyal to they are loyal to the trump regime that they're mm-hmm. they're not loyal to the constitution not loyal to american way of government they are loyal to trump his regime and that is it and i think that's yeah very concerning yeah, it, it is. I mean, it's a very good chance this guy's going to try to run again in, in, in another four years, and he's hoping to maintain that base of support. Um, there's been a lot of talk this week about him possibly going into uh, into the media business and starting his own media company. That's possible as well, and these people would become his his uh, patrons, essentially. Uh, maybe he does that just to continue being able to, to, to you know, um, be in the limelight and, uh, um, you know, because there's a good chance he's going to get banned from Twitter once he's out of office. You know, he still needs a way to connect with his people and whatnot. And starting his own media organization would be a great way to go about it. But he lost. It's just a matter <laughs> of time until... Until he accepts it, he still hasn't conceded, which is uh, uh, a little bit crazy. Yes, every legal vote should count. Every illegal vote shouldn't count. Um, But there's no way that the results in multiple states are going to be overturned. Um, You know, it's not just Georgia, which is doing a recount. Um, It's... He would need to overturn Georgia, Pennsylvania, and I think one other state, Arizona, maybe. Um, and it, it's just mathematically, statistically, it, it's just not going to happen. Um, so I, I just, I just, I just hope for the sake of the country that he will accept his loss and concede. To Joe Biden, just like every other president who's ran for a second term and failed has done before him. Um, you know, we, we've been having we've had a peaceful transfer of, of power going all the way back to the beginning. And uh, this would be the first time that uh, that, you know, the results one side just does not accept the results. Um, but uh even like within in Congress, I think only four Republican senators have have 
acknowledge that Joe Biden has won and have congratulated him. Only four senators, um, uh, Mitt Romney of Utah, Susan Collins of Maine, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, and Ben Sass of Nebraska. Um, uh, you know, so that's, that's, that's wild. I think that means there's 48 other Republicans in the Senate who haven't said squat on the matter. Um, or at least, uh, or have said, you know, we'll see something like that. Um, but this, this election is basically, basically over. Um, other countries around the world are congratulating Biden. Um, um, I don't know if you have a, do you have the list of that by chance? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't have their names. Uh, a lot of these, you know, a lot of these leaders you would know anyway, but some of yeah. them you may not, may not be familiar with. So, um, I just went by with country. So the mm-hmm. president and prime ministers, there's one king on here, but these leaders of these countries have all called, spoken with, and congratulated Joe Biden on his win. We mm-hmm. have Canada, UK, France. And, and stop right there already. Yeah. That's an interesting one, the UK, because Boris Johnson, <laughs> people like to compare him to Trump. And, yeah. and they are very comparable right down to the hair. They have like the same hairdo, you know? <laughs> So, I mean, that was almost a little bit of a surprise because uh, him and Trump, they kind of got along too, uh, to an extent. So, I mean, all of our allies, that one was uh, a little bit of a surprise, but uh, all right, sorry, keep going. And, and, and there's a couple other bangers on here too. Um, I mean, Germany, Ireland, Turkey, Saudi Arabia, Australia, South Korea, Japan, China. Yeah. Interesting list. Um, I totally understand. Uh, you said Canada, uh, France, Emmanuel Macron, and and Angela Merkel, Germany. Um, Trump has had a very rocky relationship with uh, those three countries, um, and they kind of want NATO to be restored, you know, back to the way it was. Um, maybe they don't want to pay as much. <laughs> um, which is one good thing that um, I think we should all be thanking Trump is that he got these countries to um, um, increase their uh, their basically their their defense spending. Um, you know, each country in NATO is supposed to spend at least four percent of their GDP on defense. It's a military alliance, and I mean, it's frankly worth it, worthless if countries in the alliance don't have a, a well-functioning military. Um, we've been by far for a long time, um, you know, the the uh, basically the defender of NATO, and it's it's it is important for other countries to to step up to the plate a little bit. Um, but that aside, there's also been trade issues that, with these countries. Uh, you know, Trump has uh, accused Germany of basically dumping their cars here, um, and and these these countries are are kind of hoping for a return to normalcy. Um, but Turkey and Saudi Arabia was a big surprise because those countries um, tended to get along well with Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Erdogan in Turkey is is a, a bit of a, a dictator and. Trump, I mean, there's there's no secret. He kind of tends to get along better with dictators than he does with democratically elected leaders. Um, 
Um, of course, we pulled out of Syria, and that was something that Turkey really wanted us to do. Um, Syria is basically in Turkey's backyard. Um, China was also uh, China is the other interesting one. Not a surprise that they congratulated Joe Biden, but uh, interesting because uh, uh, China is also kind of looking for a return to normalcy, which probably isn't in the best interest of the United States, in my opinion. Um, you know, China, if there is any country that dumps stuff here, it's, it's China. You know, um, they subsidize the steel industry and basically dump it around the world, pushing steel prices down. They, uh, um, you know, we really need to maintain a tough on China policy. Um, they are our fiercest rivals right now, in my opinion. Um, and, and I don't think Joe Biden's going to return to the ways of the Obama administration. I, I do think that there is a bipartisan recognition that our China policy, our longstanding po China policy needs to, needs to change a little bit. But I think China overall was pretty happy about the, the Biden win. Um, um, Anything in particular that, that stuck out to you um, among the countries that congratulated Biden? Uh, I thought the Saudis was pretty interesting. You know, the, mm -hmm. the Saudis just had that historic peace deal with, uh, with Israel. Yeah. And, and uh, the Saudis, <laughs> instead of doubling down and being like, we want more of this, they're like, no, fuck it, get out of here, man. We're yeah. going with the next guy. <laughs> yeah. But, but Joe Biden, in, in his defense, I mean, he's had a – He's had a relationship with every one of these leaders yes. for quite some time already. So he's not, he's, you know, he's not an outsider. These people know him. He has a relationship with them and they, they know exactly what they're going to be getting from Joe Biden. So, yeah. Yeah. They're not too upset of what's being handed to him. Yeah. Very true. Um, uh, I also have here in my new notes, also the uh, prime minister of Australia congratulated Biden. Um, the president of South Korea and the prime minister of Japan as well. Um, so prime minister of Ireland also uh, <laughs> congratulated Biden. So, you know, I, I don't have much to make of those, but just, uh, just something that I think is worth noting. Um, we have leaders from around the world are congratulating Joe Biden, but most Republicans aren't, which is just, it's just kind of just amazing. Um, I'm, I'm at a loss of words here. Um, and our own secretary of state, Mike Pompeo said something pretty amazing earlier this week. He said that there will be a smooth transition to a second Trump administration, which yeah, that is our chief diplomat. You know, he's the guy who, when other countries are, behaving undemocratically and rigging their elections. He's the guy who's supposed to say, Hey, knock it off. And now he's basically, you know, backing up this bullshit conspiracy theory that the election was rigged here against Donald Trump. You know, he's behaving undemocratically. So not a good look for America for him to be saying stuff like that. Um, and, uh, um, the uh, uh, Kaylee McEnany said something ridiculous, too. Uh, uh, she said that Trump will attend his own inauguration. 
when asked if he would be at the inauguration. So just, just, just wild stuff going on right now. Yeah, I, I am so looking forward for the for the never ending chaos to be over. I think, uh, yeah. you know, it's a uh, you know, briefly talked about it last podcast. You know, the the Biden administration is not something that I'm thrilled about, but my God, am I glad this clown is going to be taken out of office? Yeah. Yep. And then in four years, you know, we can go back to our normal Republican Democrat arguments, you know, <laughs> and uh, he's probably not going to run again in four years. And, you know, it will be an open contest for the White House. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to having those debates in the future. Uh, but yeah, we got to get ne- we got to get through the next few months and we will just we all got to hang in there. Um, um, yeah, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> I had this information pulled up and ready to go here, but, um, you know, moving into the fall, moving into the colder weather, we are having a massive spike in coronavirus cases. Um, <laughs> so as of now, yeah, everybody's our- spending time indoors and it's just going to be more. So we got Christmas coming up. Thanksgiving first and then Christmas, you know, two major holidays, potential super spreader events. Um, not good. Right. As of, uh, as of yesterday, our daily coronavirus cases, new cases, 150,000 a day. Jeez. So, you know, luckily our deaths are not, well, they haven't caught up with our cases like they did early on in the year. But you know, thank God we have better treatment. We kind of have a better understanding of what we're dealing with now. But not to say that I mean that could that could all change mm-hmm. too. Once you know, if the ICUs get overrun, if yeah, there's not enough hospital beds, uh, we could be in a terrible situation again. Where places like New York are burying bodies in a on an island. Uh, you know, we, uh, we've already seen the mobile morgues come back. I mean, do you remember the yeah. first? Like, what did it feel like to you, like the first time you saw a mobile refrigerated morgue at a hospital? Dude, it was like the end times. It was like, you know, uh, like a like a zombie apocalypse movie, kind of. It's <laughs> um, just, just unreal. Uh, something that you would see in a war zone somewhere where you just have a ton of people dying. Um, it really un. un fathomable yeah i would have never guessed we would have seen something like that here i was completely shocked uh the, yeah, the first time i saw that like you know the, the, uh, the drone footage of in, in new york and putting those bodies into the ground that was i mean i i never thought i'd see anything like that in my lifetime let alone yeah the uh the mobile morgues whenever they started showing up now it's just like commonplace it's like oh yeah yeah good, good thing they got those on the ready because they're gonna need them mm-hmm yeah it's like a different world different world right now <laughs> uh but do not fear because joe biden has his coronavirus task force in place <laughs> i think we got uh like 13 people on the list i believe yes uh, and they uh they don't seem to me any of them don't really seem to be hacks they you know they seem they seem to be uh i mean i don't really know these people 
well at all, but just looking at their titles and their former titles, um, it seems to be a pretty good list. Um, I think you have a little bit more information than I have about it, but uh, um, maybe I'll go down the list here and uh, stop me if you want to uh, comment on a particular person. Maybe we'll do it like that. Um, sure, and it's, it's definitely like something can be could be said for for all of them. Yeah. All right. Well, you you take it away, and uh, I'll just. Uh... Oh, right. On. All right. I'll, I'll try not to make this too long here, but. Yeah. Uh, first off, what the Coronavirus Task Force is, uh, this is in Joe Biden's words, the advisory board will help shape my approach to managing the surge in the reported infections, ensuring vaccines are safe, effective, and distributed efficiently, equitably, and free, and protecting at-risk populations. So uh, as Zach said, we got 13 people sitting on this board. Uh, uh, so instead of going through what their credentials are, um, how they really came to be in this position or whatever. I thought it'd be kind of cool just to go over just something interesting about them that like, may or may not be related to the field. Most of the time it is because I mean, you can look into these guys. They're all big brain Ivy league, you know, elite class dudes that are mm-hmm. more than, more than capable to, to have this position. Um, so I was kind of go down, down the list kind of quickly and um Things that you may not always, you may not hear in the media. All right. So, well, sometimes this first guy, Rick Bright, you'll definitely hear him talk about in the media. Why did they talk about Rick Bright? Well, he was the whistleblower from the Trump administration who alleged that his early warnings about the pandemic were ignored and ultimately led to his removal. Uh, but yeah, he's a, an American immunologist, super big. He was a big deal a while back. Yeah. Um, also, yeah, fair I, warning. I remember that. Uh, fair warning, I'm probably going to get some of these names wrong, so just uh, please <laughs> forgive me. This, this is uh, my first time hearing about a lot of these people, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Vivek Murthy. Uh, he is a former Obama Surgeon General. Uh, he was made a big deal back when he was getting nominated for Sur- Surgeon General because he made an argument that gun violence should be declared a, uh, a threat to public human health. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah, which I which wow. I think. Yeah, I remember I think, that too. Yeah, which I, that, that was a policy that Yang ran on too, wasn't it? It 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 might have been. It might have been. I'm not sure. I gotta. I'm gonna have to look into that now. But but he was the guy that kind of started the whole movement. Uh, he also uh, was the he released the first ever Surgeon General's report on drugs and alcohol, and that highlighted like how crazy the opioid epidemic was and just drug use in the country in general. Mm-hmm. So he was a big guy back mm-hmm. in the Obama administration. Next, we got David Kessler. Uh, he comes from the H.W. Bush administration as the Food and Drug Administration Commissioner. Um, <laughs> this is kind of funny. He moved quickly to make the agency more efficient, cutting the time needed to approve or reject new drugs, including AIDS drugs and more vigilant in protecting consumers against unsafe products that inflated label claims. It was also under his watch that the FDA enacted regulations requiring standardization, or I'm sorry, standardized nutritional facts labels on food. In one memorable action, he had 24,000 gallons of citrus hill orange juice seeds because although it was made from concentrate, it was labeled fresh. 
Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We have next a Luciana Borio. (laughs) She is the vice president at a company called NQTEL, an American not-for-profit venture capital firm based in Arlington, Virginia, that invests its high-tech companies for the sole purpose of keeping the CIA and other intelligence agencies equipped with the latest in information technology. And the Q in the name NQTEL stands for the fictional inventor who supplies technology to James Bond. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Huh. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll see if CNN talks about that. Yeah, so I guess we know who Q is. all right zeke emmanuel uh he was one of the architects of the affordable care act he's an ex-obama health advisor in his book Healthcare guaranteed emmanuel said that universal health care could be guaranteed by replacing employer paid health care insurance medicaid and medicare with health care vouchers funded by a value-added tax. Interesting. Yeah. I think there's better things we can do with the value-added tax, but that's, that is an option. Yeah. Indeed. All right. We have Atoll Gawande in his article in The New Yorker, which compared the health care of two towns in Texas to show why health care was more expensive in one town compared to the other. It was reported to affect Obama's thinking, quote-unquote, dramatically. It was an interesting story between you had a, um, there was, I can't remember which town in Texas it was, but one was, um, uh, it was basically centered around the Mayo Clinic that they had way cheaper coverage, um, way better access, better care overall. And the other one, the other town was just basically a, a ran by the, the for-profit healthcare industry where premiums were super high, quality of care was just shit. Hmm. Uh, next is Celine Gounder. <laughs> She is a filmmaker and host of the podcast Epidemic, which is just all about the coronavirus pandemic, and also the host of the American Diagnosis podcast, which is about health and social justice. A I could ju- see, oh, see, see her being like the spokesperson kind of for the task force, yeah, given um, the podcasting background yeah. there. Yeah, but, but she's also a, a, a practicing um a doctor and uh, mm-hmm. he's a professor, all kinds of accolades. That, you know, it's a big, I mean, she's a big deal and well-known, and especially in political circles. Mm-hmm. All right, next up, we have Julie Morita. She oversaw the response to the 2009 swine flu pandemic, Ebola and meningitis in Chicago. Not too exciting, but everybody kind of forgets about meningitis and swine yeah. flu and Ebola in Chicago. Hi. <laughs> Next, we have Michael Osterholm. In 2017, he published Deadliest Enemy, Our War Against Killer Germs, which explores public health emergencies, including antimicrobial resistance, emerging infectious diseases, and the threat of an influenza pandemic. It proposes a nine, yeah, it, it proposes a nine-point battle plan for survival dealing with these threats including solutions to antimicrobial drug resistance sounds like a stellar dude to have on the team yeah um that guy was also on the joe rogan podcast uh i think in may maybe 
Holy uh, shit, so, yeah. Yeah, so he, yeah. he's definitely worth it's, it. It was a good one. Um, I definitely recommend checking that out. Michael Alsterholm on the Joe Rogan experience all day. <laughs> I, I never understood that but check it out <laughs> yeah training by day joe podcast by night something like that he says i think yeah <laughs> i don't know what the hell it means but anyway michael Osterholm, right. check him out on the joe rogan experience all right we're getting close to the end here uh next we have lois pace in april 2020 when the united states first considered pulling their funding for the who Pace led an open letter to the Trump administration to reverse course. The letter was signed by over a thousand charities, medical experts, and healthcare companies. Not that exciting, but it also kind of indicates a uh, a will to re-enter the WHO, which should also come at no surprise to anyone at all. Next is Robert Rodriguez. In July of this year. Rodriguez treated patients along the Mexico-U.S. border during the uh, COVID-19 pandemic in Texas. He also researched heightened stress and anxiety levels among physicians during the COVID-19 pandemic. Kind of, you know, mental health for your healthcare workers. Probably a solid guy to have, a, have around. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> our last one, this guy named Eric Goosby. I really couldn't find anything like crazy fascinating about this guy. However, Goosby has served on the board of directors of the Clinton Foundation since 2013. So. It seems like a solid list to me. Um, now, let me just ask a, a question here. Um, we got this task force in order. Um, do they have any power or ability to begin at enacting their, their measures right now? No, I mean, they could influence public opinion and that could, you know, result in pressure on local elected officials. But yeah, as they exist now, no, they have no power. Even after Biden takes office, they really don't have any power. They're just advisors. Right. OK. Yeah, it's um, definitely something uh, important. I think that's that's worth mentioning. Um, but, but, but you know, these are people that even right now, they are. You know, largely responsible for shaping the conversation around COVID-19. Right. If they just talk about the importance of wearing masks and maintaining socially distant, you know, hopefully the country will follow suit. I mean, these are well-accomplished people. They have the right backgrounds and experiences to be uh, a part of this task force. So hopefully people heed their advice. Um, yeah, it's I, I, yeah, and I was trying to find you know, dig up, you know, bullshit on bullshit on them. Like, you know, <laughs> like, you know, things of like, maybe like this person's not so cool. And the, yeah, the only two people I could find were the person that works for the CIA and the person that works for the, the Clinton foundation. Like, I think those are the only two that's like, eh, you know, who, uh, who were, who were they again? Which ones? It was uh, Luciana Borio. Uh-huh. And she's a vice. Yeah, she's a vice president of, of NQTEL, and then Eric Goosby. Yeah, he's on the board of directors for the Clinton Foundation. And you found shit about them? Uh, yeah, I mean, like being involved with the CIA is not yeah. always a good thing. Here, and then the Clinton Foundation is also not always a good thing. Right. right. I mean, I mean <laughs> and, and, yeah, could I find anything damning that would? 
you know, disqualify them for the position? Probably not. But yeah, know. just being tied to those organizations, yeah. uh, people are going to be a little bit skeptical. But yeah, all right. That's that's a definitely definitely a solid team overall. Um, it's good that he is acting on this so quickly because it is the number one issue right now. And, and even though, as, as we just said, they don't actually have any power or authority, just it, it, it shows that the incoming administration is going to really take this virus much more seriously than the current one. And they do have the ability to influence public opinion. So I, I think it's a very good move uh, getting this uh, task force off the ground as quick as possible. So um, so already Joe Biden, I'm giving him two thumbs up. You know, like I said in the last podcast, he has the opportunity to be an awesome president and uh, I'm, I'm rooting for him because I'm rooting for the country. Um, I mean, I'm not crazy about Joe Biden, but he the opportunity exists for him. You know, he can be an awesome president and uh, I hope he I hope he will be. Um, any other uh, notes on the task force before we move on to the chaos yeah, of the Pentagon? Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, you know, compare and contrast. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the current administration and what a dumpster fire it's been, especially within the within the Pentagon. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, the big, the biggest thing about the current administration, um, maybe not the biggest, but one of the things that really stand out to me is at every turn, Trump is undermine, undermining uh, what his task force has been saying about the virus. You know, like Dr. Fauci is constantly under threat of being fired. So if you're a hardcore Trump loyalist, you're probably not going to trust things that Dr. Fauci are saying, right? And, and that does not help the nation's response to the pandemic whatsoever, especially, you know, if we are the, the land of the free. And, you know, there, there's this debate about whether or not the federal government has the power to enact the federal mask mandate. I don't think they do, but that means our leaders should be telling people, hey, please just wear a mask. All right. I'm, I can't make you because, uh, you know, we don't have the ability to make you, but just be a smart person and care about your neighbor. Wear a mask. Um, our president's not hasn't been doing that. And the people who are saying we should wear masks are being undercut uh, at, at every turn by the president. Um so uh, yeah, what's 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 your takeaway? No, no, I, I, I have nothing else to add on that one, man. You nailed it. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think uh, the administration's just complete failure to take this seriously from the beginning is definitely what you know took away his election chances this cycle. You know, right. you know, you know, had he effectively managed the pandemic in the beginning, had he been been stronger on COVID, yeah, we. We wouldn't be in the situation that we are now, and he would likely have, um, as another, as someone else put it, uh, he would have moonwalked the re-election. Mm-hmm. Moonwalked. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
One thing I was uh, surprised about, but after really thinking about it, maybe not so surprised, was that there weren't any, nobody on that list, Joe Biden's list, uh, are people who are currently on Trump's uh, team, right? There was really no continuity right. there. Well, I mean, and, well, and there was there there was um, uh, Rick Bright. He was part of the Trump administration. He was a guy that whistle blew. Yeah. Um, so I understand that. That doesn't really count in my mind. Like like Fauci for like. Why wouldn't Biden include Fauci uh, in his task force? Uh, but, I, think, I, I mean, Fauci serves at the the pleasure of a sitting president. Mm-hmm. So. I don't think that relationship could be, you know, uh, a thing. In you know, just mm-hmm. just because he he does serve at the pleasure of the president, and if he's going to serve, I mean, is there some some level of interaction between the NIH and the president elect? I would certainly hope so, but I'm also not entirely sure. I mean, like let's see, the 13 people that he's bringing in now, they're all embedded within those types of circles too, mm-hmm. right? So like, like everybody on that list is well-known within those communities. I'm sure they communicate. I'm sure they have relationships with all the correct people. So even though, you know, if it's not uh, Fauci or, uh, or Burks, you know, mentioned by name, right. uh, it's, it's still all the most important people that probably are involved with this task force. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gotcha. That's, that, 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 that's my, completely my assumption. I could be completely wrong. But you know they could just be free balling this whole thing, and you know. <laughs> yeah. But but I doubt it. Yeah. Hmm. Um. Yeah. Well, we'll have to have to see. I mean, there's a chance after inauguration day, um, when Joe Biden becomes the president, uh, we'll have to see. Uh, I mean, there is a good chance that Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci could be asked to uh, join the uh, Ob- the Biden task force. Um. You know, maybe it's just it's just politics right now because so many Trump people are wanting Fauci to be fired. I mean, they're actually chanting fire Fauci at some of his rallies, you know, so maybe mm-hmm. Biden just kind of wants to completely distance himself. You know, Fauci, in my mind, has done an OK job. I think most people think he's done an OK job, but there is that significant minority that wants him fired. And if Biden wants everybody to wear masks and wants to beat the virus maybe fauci just isn't the best person politically to have involved that could be part of the calculus uh i i don't really know um well i guess we'll just have to see what happens after inauguration day right there definitely is a decent argument for the removal of fauci um i'm i think he's done an okay job i'm not really a big fauci guy um Mm -hmm. i think uh i mean he's not the only infectious disease expert in this country mm-hmm. uh, you know we have some of the best and brightest minds in the world here uh, and I, I one thing i'll probably never get over was how they lied to us about the effect of effectiveness of mass yeah that, that was a very big deal yeah and that I mean, that was fauci that was burks that was the cdc i, I mean the, the who everybody mm-hmm. uh, so, so they they lost a lot of credibility with me yeah, with that move because it yeah. was completely it was completely uncalled for and people died because of it. Yeah, very good point. And, and still today, the anti-maskers they like to reference Fauci when he originally said that masks don't help that much. 
you know, and, and they ignore all the time since then when he's reversed course on that. Um, yeah, that, that, that definitely wasn't right. You got to be straight up with the people, tell them the truth. If there's not enough masks to go around for everybody, just tell people don't buy a mask because we need to have masks for our nurses and for people who are on the front lines. Do not stock up on masks. You don't need a closet full of them at home. It's, you know, that that's what it came down to. Yep. Um, it's got to be truthful. Mm-hmm. Rule eight, baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed, <laughs> indeed. Uh, all right, should we move uh, on to the Pentagon? Yeah, yeah. So uh, this Pentagon thing, this is this is pretty wordy, and there's a lot of people, and it can be hard to follow. So I'm going to do my best for this to make sense here. It's it's been crazy in the Pentagon ever since Trump took office with so many people being fired, people resigning, uh, a couple people retiring. <laughs> um, but it's, it's back in the news again because there was a lot of, uh, of high official people that were either removed or resigned. The, I think like the, the largest of them being uh, the defense secretary, Mark Esper, who was, uh, once again, fired by Twitter, mm-hmm. which is always a, a good way to do it, right? Um, Very, uh, I, I couldn't imagine being fired by Twitter, you know? It's by the just, president. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> just like a real slap in the face, you know? Don't let the door hit you on the way out. It's yeah. just, I mean, there's there's a, a professional way to go about it. And then there's a cruel way and... uh you know, uh, just just not right, not cool. <laughs> yeah. um, but why why was he fired? All right, so there's a few reasons here. There's always been a, a bit of a contentious relationship between Esper and Trump. Um, so Esper's only been in there since July. Um, he, he was put in there after Jim Mattis was was fired as well. Mad Dog um, Mattis. Yeah, which also, Mad Dog was a, a nickname that was made up by Trump. That wasn't even his nickname in the military. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't. You, you remember what his nickname was, Mad Dog? Uh, uh, Jim Mattis? Nah, we can't remember. But if you Google it, yeah, his, his real nickname in the military was not Mad Dog. Huh. Ah, interesting. I didn't know yeah. that. Right, uh, so the, the contention between Esper and Trump... Um, so back in February, uh, the Trump administration signed a peace deal with the Taliban that basically said, hey, um, for 14 months, if you, if you guys keep your shit together, maintain the, uh, the terms of the peace agreement, we're going to pull out, we'll be on our way. Esper didn't exactly see eye to eye with that. He said he personally didn't have a, a strict timeline on it. He said May of next year, but the timeline was premised on everything moving at a set pace. So he wasn't completely in lockstep with the Trump or the uh, troop withdrawal there. He also broke with Trump publicly opposing the uh, invocation of the Insurrection Act of 1807, which was which would be the deployment of active duty troops in American cities. He, quote, said the National Guard is best suited for performing domestic support to civil authorities 
I say this not only as Secretary of Defense, but also as a former soldier and a former member of the National Guard. The option to use active duty forces in a law enforcement role should only be used as a matter of last resort and only in the most urgent and dire of situations. We are not and we are not in one of those situations right now, and I do not support invoking the Insurrection Act. And then uh, the last part was he also supported the he supported the renaming of military installations named after Confederate generals. That that last point, I don't see how anybody could really be against that, you know, unless you actually are a white nationalist. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I just don't think it's that big of a deal. It's just it's just a name. And should we really be naming things after traitors, essentially? You know, I mean, that's that's essentially what the Civil War was about. The, you know, a, a number of states essentially broke away, wanted to become their own country. They, you know, turned their guns against against the Union and threatened to, to pull us apart. And now we're naming military bases after them, after those generals. Uh, you know, it's just, I, I don't see how anyone could uh, be against changing the names of, of those bases. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, that's also, you know, that's another example of Trump dropping the ball on the populist narrative. You know, it's a, you know changing the names is a populist position. Why, more people in this country support changing the name and leaving them as they are it's it's like you know trump ran as a populist and i guess you could say he is a populist but he's not a populist all the time mm-hmm. and that's uh something that disappoints me about him yeah all right uh so uh the person that is replacing mark esper his name is christopher miller uh miller is actually a pretty badass guy um he served as uh, he served in the United States Army Special Forces in Afghanistan. He was a, a company commander of the Fifth Special Forces Group in Iraq. He commanded Special Forces units in 2006 and 2007. His promotion to colonel was approved. Um, in December of 2009, Miller served as a program executive officer for a rotary wing of programs at the U.S. Special Operations Command. And. He also received a Master of Arts in National Security Studies from the Naval War College in 2010. But what's also kind of interesting about this guy was he was um, kind of like the first troops on the ground in, uh, in Afghanistan and Iraq. He was, uh, so it's interesting that <laughs> the guy kind of responsible for kicking the whole thing off is going to be the guy that pulls us out of there. Hmm. I mean, I mean, I mean, in terms of uh, serving at the capacity of a soldier and when he did, I think it's pretty cool to have someone like him, you know, at the at the head of the uh, as secretary of defense. Yeah. But um, I think it'll be interesting. I mean, he's a pretty pro-war guy. At least he seems his, his impression is his impression of him is pro-war to me. But if he can. Um, if he can pull pull us out, pull us out. Uh, he also did serve as a defense contractor in 2014. I could not find any information on that whatsoever. I could find out like that, like anytime I saw it mentioned, that was it. He worked as a defense contractor. Mm-hmm. No more information like right. for who, for what, how much did he make? What company was it? Like, what were they involved with? Nothing. Um, 
kind of curious to find that. Um, he also did serve in the Trump administration as a counterterrorism. Oh, this is actually pretty interesting. Uh, he served in the Trump administration as a counterterrorism advisor on the United States National Security Council. In 2020, he became Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Special Operations and Combating Terrorism. This is where it gets interesting. He was involved in designating Iran, Hezbollah, and American domestic terrorism as threats to the United States. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Right. So, that, so whenever we talk about American domestic terrorism, who we include? Do we include white nationalists? Do we include Antifa, Black Lives Matter? This is the guy as well, he was pulling those strings earlier this year. Mm-hmm. So if he's if he's more if he's more anti, you know, if he thinks Antifa and Black Bloc are a larger threat than what Mark Esper did, maybe he's not so, you know, maybe he's more apt to pull the, the lever and, and invoke the Insurrection Act than um mm-hmm. than his yeah, the, the narrative that I was getting from the mainstream media this week regarding this is that the people who Trump is putting in place, uh, it wasn't just Mark Esper, it was uh, several people who were either fired or, you know, resigned a lot of times when somebody resigns or actually being forced to resign. Uh, we don't really know, but there were a number of exits this week within the Pentagon. The narrative that I kind of received from the mainstream media is that the new people coming in are all Trump loyalists, people who are seem to be like they'd be more willing to just listen to the president, just pull us out of Afghanistan or maybe, you know, um, you know, support the deployment of uh, the National Guard in our streets and whatnot. Um, What's your take on that? Do you think these these individuals are going to be loyalists or or what? It's hard to say. Like, uh, um, I haven't seen inter- any interviews with uh, with Chris Miller, so I really don't know for sure what type of man he is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I've, I've, perhaps somebody's asking that question point blank and how he really feels about it. Yeah. Does he feel? Does he feel that it's appropriate that the Secretary of Defense? <laughs> sends troops <laughs> against his own people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that is probably the, the most important question to be asking when we're talking about these mm-hmm. these new people coming into yeah. these roles. Um, Trump tweeted, I think on October 7th, this is before the election, that he wants to have all troops out of Afghanistan and home by Christmas. Um, which, you know, is not that far away. We're talking about a little bit over a month now. Do you think that's possible? Is that going to happen? Is that what this shakeup is about, you think? I mean, uh, Trump, we're past the election. It's not like, you know, he should have been a little bit more vocal about that leading up to the election, because I, I think that might have won him support. You know, that, that kind of is a populist position, I think. Let's bring our troops home right now. And it's more the the uh, industrial military complex that uh, wants to keep us engaged uh, abroad. And I guess that, that is basically the establishment. Um, Trump has basically 
at a few rallies, I have heard him talking about the military industrial complex, how it really is a real thing and a problem. Uh, but like during the debates, I don't really recall that coming up that much. Uh, it definitely could have been something he could have brought up a little bit more. Um, but I don't know. We got a, a month and 10 days before Christmas. <laughs> do, do you see all these troops coming home? Um, I think there's, I think there's about like 4,500 troops in Afghanistan. I could be wrong on that, but I think that's what I, I read. Yeah. I mean, look, Trump is a bullshitter and a con man. He has absolutely no intent of having those, tr- those troops pulled out of there by Christmas. Mm-hmm. I mean, will there be perhaps, you know, some drawdown? Will some troops return home? Yeah. Maybe, probably. Well, I mean, some of them, not most yeah. of them, and sure as fuck, not all of them. All right. So if his real intention is not to actually pull the troops out of Afghanistan, why the shakeup? Why do you think this shakeup is occurring? I think, all right, maybe, all right does, does, does Trump want troops out of Afghanistan? Sure. But I think, you know, that's other things with Esper that we talked about um, it, beyond. You know the, uh, uh, I could. So this do is just, it. just a punishment type thing. You know, he's trying to get rid of unloyal people. Right. Yeah. Uh, Mark Esper. Uh, despite in media circles, Mark Esper was referred to as Mark Yesper because the media right. kind of portrayed him as a yes man all the time. Right. I guess Trump is looking for, you know, even even more of a yes man, one that's not going to speak out against him whatsoever. And I'm not sure if that's going to be Chris Miller or not. And I mean, certainly looking at the, I mean, if there, there's some, some really good resources out there, um, one's by the Brookings Institute. Um, so if you just search tracking turnover in the Trump administration and find the, the Brookings.edu link, it shows you everybody in the, in the administration who's been, who's, who's quit, who's been fired, who's retired. And the, the list is way longer than what you think it is. Oh, it's, like, it's unreal. It's, this yeah. administration has been more of a revolving door than my last job. Yeah. <laughs> it's just people coming in, coming out, left and right, and no stability. And really, that's not that great of a thing for the country. I mean, you need, you don't want the same people being in the same positions forever. But, you know, the turnover rate has just been way too high. You know, you do need some stability. Right. At the, on, on the inside, uh, the turnover rate, like the people in, in, directly in the White House administration, turnover rate has been 91 percent. And then most of these positions were already in like our fourth and fifth filling of that position. Which I, I mean, that's definitely not an indication of a of a stable government. That yeah. We average. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just, just ridiculous. Um, um, my concern. So, I, I don't think the high turnover is a good thing. Um, I, I kind of understand a little bit. Uh, at least I try to understand. Um, uh, you know that. Trump wants loyalty and, and, and whatnot. And I could understand during his, his, his term, a lot of people coming and going, but the election is over now. We have a new president coming in. 
if anything, this should be the most important time for there to be stability. And uh, I'm afraid that this shakeup has more to do with hurting Joe Biden and his ability to, to, to know what's going on once he takes office than anything else. I, I don't think these firings are for the betterment of the country. Um, I mean, we know that the Trump administration right now is blocking Biden's team from receiving intelligence briefings. Um, that's, that's concerning. That's very concerning. Um, and I'm wondering if the firings at the, at the Pentagon are basically because of the same reason. They just don't want Biden to, to get good information. Yeah, that's a terrifying prospect. And it's, think about, it. I mean, like, well, we're already in the situation now that if the people that were put into position, put into these positions now, by the time the Biden administration comes to power, which is in two months, the people have only been on the job for two months. So what kind of right. transition, like what kind of handshake effective transition can you have from one administration to the other when you're like <laughs> the people that they're going to be dealing with have no idea what they're doing already. Right. If, 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 you, if you know how to do a job after two months, you're doing a really good fucking job. Right. Like if you know the, if you know the ins and outs of being a secretary of defense after two fucking months, God bless you, man. You've <laughs> done the impossible. Right. Because usually these people uh, in position when the new, new administration comes in, they'll help train the new appointees and whatnot. Um, we're basically having going to have somebody who's in training working with the new administration and their appointees. Uh, it, it's just, it, it's just, it's just crazy. You know, it's something that uh, you, you can't even make up, but yet it's, it's, it's happening. Um, do you think that Biden? Uh, so the first thing I'll say about the, the, the intelligence, the lack of intelligence briefings that, that Biden is getting Um it's not as concerning as it could be because Biden basically already knows the job. He was the vice president for eight years. He worked closely with Obama. He sat in on those intelligence briefings. He knows what they're about. Uh, he, he knows pretty much all the world leaders. Um, he knows what's going on for the most part. But had this been somebody who wasn't that experienced, for example, if this is something that Obama did to Trump, that would have been a really bad thing, like potentially disastrous for the country. I mean, you know, Trump yeah. never held public office before. Um, just just imagine if he didn't get any intelligence briefings before taking the oath of office. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure. Well, I'm sure even when Trump was getting them, he wasn't paying attention to them. <laughs> Right. I, I don't think he was either. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, I guess one argument you can make is that the election hasn't been certified yet. I think that goes down on December the 8th, I think. Mm -hmm. So if he's not getting it by, by December 9th, then we do have a real problem. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I also, does, does Joe Biden not already get some level of classified briefings after he, I mean, I know the president does, but does the vice president also receive some of that information? 
Um, he might. I I don't really know, but I I do know that there is are certain things that are that are that's being blocked. Um, I I, I don't. You know, he he might be getting some kind of briefings, but uh, he's not getting all the information. I'll put it that way. Um, yeah. It's just it's just it's just concerning. Um, back to the the, the Pentagon. Uh, some of the incoming people also have baggage too. They they seem to be controversial people. Um, uh, you got this uh, general, uh, retired brigadier general Anthony Tata or Tata, Tata. I don't know how he pronounces his name. Um, uh, he over the summer was uh, initially appointed by the president for some kind of uh, position in the Pentagon, and that position needed to be approved by the Senate. And there was bipartisan opposition to that because uh, he's made numerous Islamophobic and offensive comments. He claimed President Obama was a terrorist leader who was trying to help the Middle East more than the United States. Um, and now he's basically uh, uh, some kind of uh, uh, advisor at the Pentagon. Um, he also had uh, the uh, someone who's going to be directly advising Christopher Miller. Uh, what is his name? Um, uh, Defense Secretary Christopher uh, Miller. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Retired Army Colonel Douglas McGregor uh, is going to be a senior advisor to uh, Secretary Miller. I guess acting Secretary Miller, we should say, because this isn't going to be voted on by the Senate. It's just someone kind of filling a gap until Biden takes over. Um, interestingly, he accused uh, back in 2019 and in 2012, even going way back, uh, he basically said that Mike Pompeo and some other people are taking money from Israel. Wow, that's an accusation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he basically said that Mike Pompeo has become very rich from the Israeli lobby. Uh, and and now they're both serving in the same administration. So that's a little bit odd. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 you know, what motivation would he have to make that up? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um just, just, just interesting. I mean, and it doesn't surprise me too. This White House has been a White House in chaos and constant conflict, and it's been one big ongoing soap opera. Soap opera. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> have to see how this plays out. Um, but uh, yeah, just something I, I found kind of interesting. Yeah, there was a lot. Of, there was a lot more people that exited the, uh, the Pentagon this week as well. Um, but man, like you really, you're really starting to get in the weeds and, uh, probably some of the lower level positions that aren't as exciting. Yeah. But, uh, the, the cleaning um, house essentially. Yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of people did resign and protest. Um, some people have resigned and not said anything at all. So it, it's a, it's a big mixed bag 
You know, I never understood the protest resign. I, I never understood it. it. It just defeats the purpose. You know, if 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 you really feel strongly about something and, and you're in a position, to, to, you know, of, of power where you could influence policy. You resigning is, only means that somebody who's willing to toe the president's line is going to take that position. That, that doesn't help the cause at all. And we've seen a lot of people just, just resigning, you know, during the Trump years. And I, it's just something I never really understood. I think maybe, maybe they're given the option. It's like, look, man, you can, you can resign and leave with your head held high, or we can fire, we can fire you and we will just fucking bury your name in the ground. Well, it's not even just, just the people working for the executive branch. It's it's also, I'm referring to people like Jeff Flake, who was a Senator from Arizona who decided not to run because he was a Republican, but not a Trump Republican. And he, he just, he didn't like, like Trump, but didn't like how things were going. And instead of fighting for what he really felt was like, he just decided to retire at the end of his term. I, I don't understand that mentality. Man, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I can only speculate, you know, um, I just think if you're surrounded by an administration, or if you find yourself in a position of, of, of power, of real power, like the Secretary of Defense is a pretty fucking powerful position, and you're being forced to do things that you really don't think are ethical, the right thing for the country, that like maybe it's for a clean conscience because maybe sometimes the decision is out of your hands, even though you might be you know, the most, you know, the, at the head of that organization, you know, if you, if you don't support invoking the insurrection act, yeah, I don't, maybe worse things could happen to you. I, I'm not sure what it's like to be in that, that inner circle. I'm sure it's got to be a very strange, bizarre experience, but yeah, I mean like, yeah, I, I, I definitely see your viewpoint though. Like, yeah. Like, hey, well, but why aren't more people more outspoken more of the time mm-hmm. and it yeah, really work as a, as a check against the administration i don't really know i mean at the end of the day the trump could fire people right that aren't gonna invoke the insurrection act or whatever he wants to do Mm -hmm. but firing somebody is a lot more controversial than somebody just leaving on their own accord right so i mean if if you want to try to roadblock these policies that trump is trying to push you should just publicly say hey you're gonna have to fire me and i i think that would be a much more admirable and much more effective approach because even though trump likes to say you're fired you can't fire everybody uh, at some point it just starts to really look bad mm-hmm. uh and um I, I just think that would have been a much better approach right and on top of that i mean if you quit you can't collect unemployment yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that is true. That is true. <laughs> uh, oh, that's funny. <laughs> All right. Well, what else do we got? We got anything else for today? I think that's it, brother. All right. Well, that was definitely a good one, I think. Um, we will be back next week. Uh, don't forget to like, subscribe, share with your friends and your family if you enjoy our content. 
And uh, I guess uh, take care. Have a great week. Be safe. Bye, everybody.